Thank you so much. It is just such a joy to be here with you. Um, It's so exciting to me to see so many of you here this weekend and so many of you young people here this weekend considering a career in medical missions. And I can tell you, there's no better place. There's no better place. Um, This conference has been very special to me. I've been coming here since 1999. I did my surgical training over in Lexington, just about an hour and 15 minutes from here. And I heard about this conference and started coming. And uh, I can honestly say that I am in Africa, in Kenya today, largely because of this medical missions conference. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as I share my story. But as I came and sat where you sat, which, by the way, is really a lot easier to sit out there than up here. But um, it's a great place to sit and to to listen to the stories of uh, Dr. David Thompson, Dr. David Stevens, the many missionaries who've been up here and shared their stories with me. I often took them home on CD and I've played them over and over and their stories still resonate with me. And they've greatly impacted my life and affected me greatly. You know, God's uh, just impressed upon me today to share my story and my journey with you. And I do that in the hopes that perhaps it will help some of you as you are seeking His will in your life. Um, uh I am somewhat of a technology-dependent speaker as well, and I would much rather be up here sharing with you all kinds of great surgery slides and patients and stories about that, and I'm used to being able to click through it all. And I um, finished my residency at University of Kentucky and stayed on there as faculty before I went to the mission field. And so when I came home on furlough last year, they accepted me back as faculty, and I worked there, and I was giving grand rounds one morning, And I was all enthralled with all of these great surgery cases that I was showing. I wanted to be like Dr. Adolph and um, Dr. Tarfley and others that I had seen give grand rounds like this. And I thought they were great cases. And this is the surgery department who better than to appreciate all my great, gory Africa surgery slides when I saw a guy being carried out across the back of the room. He's being carried by two of his buddies, and he is completely white as a sheet. And I found out later that just before he passed out, he looked at his buddy and he said, these pictures are a little much. Um, They carried him down to the emergency department and we didn't see him for several days. We found out later that he was a pharmacy student and he had just started his, it was his first day on his trauma surgery rotation. So... I've had to be a little bit more careful about the slides. I I had even, we had a worm obstruction one night and I even wrote out go GMHC in worms that I was going to try to show, but I never got to use that picture. So So don't fear, I don't have anything like that to show you this morning. Um, Currently, I am a general surgeon serving as a career missionary at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. I am there with World Gospel Mission uh, as a career missionary. I went there in January of 2007, and I'm in my second term now. We are a 300-bed hospital, and uh, we very much believe that uh, Christ-centered, compassionate health care is a ministry 
that it's a mission field, that it's something that Jesus would very much approve of as a mission field. And we couple that medical ministry with um, with spiritual ministry and a commitment to training. And part of my role as I went there was to help start a general surgery training program. And we're going to speak a little bit about that as well. We just give God the praise for all the work that's going on there at Tenwick. Um, this weekend, we're going to close out this service today. I have enjoyed so much the sessions that I've been a part of. The speakers have touched my heart. I'm again going to be taking them home to listen to them over and over. I pray that God's been working on your heart. You are not here by chance this weekend. God has brought you here by divine appointment. You're here for a purpose. And I pray that you're going to be receptive to whatever it is that he's brought you here for. He's brought you this far this weekend for a reason. I was doing the Bible study Anointed, Transformed, and Redeemed by Beth Moore, Priscilla Shower, and Kay Author when they wrote to me and asked me would I be willing to uh, come back from Kenya and to speak at this conference. And, and so I said, sure. And a little while later they wrote and asked what the title of my talk would be. And so I sent in, who am I, O Sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And at the time, I was thinking, well, I'm just going to go and tell them that if I can be a missionary, then God can use anybody on the mission field. And, you know, that's true. I'm I'm a bag of inadequacies and and insecurities, and that's just who I am. That's how God's made me, and that's going to be my struggle, I think, probably forever. But as I have been more contemplating and praying and asking God what to share with you, As this conference, my heart has been tendered to tell you, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the awesome God that we serve, oh, sovereign God. It's about what is our idea of how big God really is. How sovereign do we truly believe he is? How far? Do we really believe that he is able to take us? Turn with me to 2 Samuel 7, verses 18 through 29. Let's read these scriptures that David is pronouncing before the Lord. He's in such awe of God at this point. That he just sits down before the Lord. Second Samuel seven, eighteen through twenty nine. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if, as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. Sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant how great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. 
And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you deemed from Egypt? You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. I so love it that God uses regular people all throughout Scripture, don't you? We heard a little bit yesterday about how God takes a fisherman and makes him into Peter, the rock of the church, and yet Peter stumbled and he had trouble and he messed up. And God takes David, a shepherd boy, and he makes him king. And here, David's already king, but yet he keeps calling himself servant and referring to the Lord as sovereign God. And he's making sure that he shows the Lord that I know who I am. I'm a servant. I'm a shepherd boy, and you've taken me, and you've made me king. Yes, David was king. Yes, he conquered armies, and yet we know he had egregious sin in his life. God uses these people. He tells us about the great things he does, but he tells us about those times that they mess up. I really wanted to subtitle my talk, How God Uses People on the Mission Field That Mess Up. But I was afraid nobody would come or they wouldn't, they would like turn me down as a speaker. But it's true and that's who I am. I've messed up. I'm probably going to mess up again. God knew that. But he chose me anyway. That's point number one. God knows who we are. In verse 20 and 21, God knows us and he chooses us anyway. David says, you know your servant, Lord, but you chose me. You chose me. I had the wonderful, great blessing of being born into a Christian family. My father was a minister. My mom was a school teacher. And I loved Jesus from a very early age. And I gave my heart to him at age seven. I grew up in the church and did all the youth group things that back in my day was choir tour and youth camp and things like that. They're all updated these days. But I went to Christian college. But then I graduated with a math major and computer science minor. How I thought that was going to uh, help me with my plan, which at that time was to get married and have a family. And I I don't know, that plan didn't work out. So then I went into the business world and worked for AT&T. And I started climbing a corporate ladder. About a year after college, I moved from Birmingham, Alabama to New Jersey, which for this Alabama girl might as well have been Africa. (laughs) Sorry for you uh, northerners, but it was true. But I thought it was a great adventure. And as I got all into my career and all into the success of 
trying to be successful in the corporate world, I found myself very far from God. Young people, it can happen one small step at a time, one small compromise at a time. And so I encourage you, have some accountability in your life. Have some church in your life. Have some friends in your life. Have some grounding in your life. My best friend had taken a much different course. We'd been together all the way through college, but then she did get married. And she and her husband went to seminary, and then he did his doctorate. And they went to Nigeria Nigeria as missionaries, and he taught in a a Bible seminary. And she worked as a nurse part-time, working with surgeons a couple mornings a week, working in a children's home for malnourished children, raising their three small children. She'd written me many letters about the suffering they were having in their first year as missionaries, how she was bathing their children in dirty recycled water and and her daughter getting malaria, just the suffering that they were undergoing. I was much too busy with my very important business life to ever write her back. One day a letter came and it said, Carol, who have you become? Who are you anymore? You're no longer someone that I can call my best friend. And that's what God used to break my heart. That's what he used to call me back. Thankfully, he takes us back no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done. My heart grieves for those years of sin and all of the bad things that I did during that time. But thankfully, he redeems us he forgives us he restores us i stayed up all night calling nigeria it was very hard to do in those days i finally got my friend on the phone thankfully she forgave me as well and we restored our friendship and we're great friends to this day we planned a trip for me to go and see her and a few weeks later i uh, graduated from this executive mba program that i was a part of and went around telling everybody i was so excited because i was never going to have to go to school again So, then I went off to Nigeria, and uh, I spent about three weeks going about her life with her. And this emptiness that I'd been feeling, this restlessness I'd been feeling, all of a sudden I saw something that was missing in my life. I saw them making a difference in the lives of people, and I knew that God was calling me to medical school. He was choosing me. I was very blessed. Even in my first year as my first term as a missionary, I knew I was chosen. I knew God had provided for me. Here I was in the mission field. We'd done a lot of good things. We had started a surgery residency program. And I, I was uh, assistant medical superintendent. And I, had, I you know, was helping do some things in the theater. I, I, just, I was a change agent. I saw so many good things we could improve. Well... I was pushing hard in a lot of different directions. And the rate of change in Africa is not quite what I was used to. And I was putting myself behind everything I was doing, 1,000%. The problem is I was probably doing most of that in my very own strength. I had to stand up last night when they said, has anybody ever done this i I don't think i am currently but i i had done it so recently i would feel guilty had i not stood up and you know i I found myself weary discouraged maybe even depressed exhausted what all of those words that aren't very spiritual words and i found myself saying god am i hearing you right am i supposed to be here is this really still my calling And he 
seemed as if he just had a verse jump off the page to me that I'd studied many times before. But during my quiet time one day, John 15:16 spoke to me and he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So, folks, he chooses us. He knows us. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows we might mess up again. But his plan in this world involves you and me. If he's calling you, I hope you're going to be willing to listen and to take that step for whatever the next this far is going to be in your life. Point number two, does your calling seem impossible? Does it seem too big to be overwhelming? Is it all of those things? That's it. That's it. Then that's God because he wants the glory. You're very gifted, as we've talked about all weekend. You're the top of the top of the top of the top. You're like the top 1% or less of the talented people in the whole world sitting in this room. That doesn't matter to God. He wants the glory. So whatever he's going to call you to do is going to be bigger than you. And you're going to have to depend on him to help you through it. I'm very thankful that when he called me to go to medical school in 1992 on my visit to Nigeria, that I didn't know it was going to be 14 and a half years before I would end up back on the mission field. If I had done that, I might have run away. (laughs) So thankfully, I didn't know. I'm constantly trying to bargain with God and saying, if you'll give me just where you want me to be in five years, I can take it from here. (laughs) But he doesn't work that way. He wants us to trust him one day at a time, one step at a time. And, you know, it is about that journey. It's not about arriving on that destination day that you show up in Kenya. It is about that journey. It is about that process. It's about your heart. Um, AT&T used to have this incredible room, kind of dark room, where um, there was this map of the world and a network superimposed over it, and they could make it completely dark. And they would do network imaging and start with one small light, and then they would make a, a line of a call, jump to another place, and a light would light up. And then it would start just going crazy as a network, and all the calls lit up all over the whole world. And before you know it, there's this huge matrix of lights everywhere as a network, all integrated, all touching each other, all from one little source of one connection to another connection to another connection. That's what's happening here. That's what happened in my life as I started coming to this conference and I met people who knew people who knew people. And I I step back now and I'm just amazed at how, the one, the medical missions world is fairly small. And you, you do, over time, really get to meet a lot of incredibly wonderful people. And you get to be friends with those people. But God's building your network, your resources in your life. He's going to make whatever he's calling you to do happen. And it's going to be far beyond your abilities. Number three, he's trustworthy. 
In verse 28, David recounts back to God. He's just, he's just praising God and telling him all of his attributes. And he's talking about how trustworthy God is. If you've heard my testimony before, you know that this is one of my life messages. And I will testify to God's faithfulness till the day I die. When I was a resident, I spent a year in Kenya because I came to this conference. And as I came, I, I, I told the Lord I wanted to be open if, if it was something he wanted me to do and all. And he made the way clear that I was supposed to go after my third year and spend a year in Kenya. And it became clear that that should be Tinwick. And I went, and it was just an amazing year. Near the end of my time there in May of 2003, a friend and I had gone for a weekend to Lake Naivasha. And Monday as we started home, we weren't able to make it to Tinwick because we were uh, carjacked and kidnapped at gunpoint and taken off to a remote area and I was raped. We were able to escape because our captors were scared away because a little plane flew overhead, a single-engine plane that to this day has never been accounted for. We don't really know whose it was. It wasn't any of the people in that area. We walked quickly and were picked up by a British lady who took us to her home, and she and her husband owned a guest house that they opened to us, and we called our friends to come and be with us from the mission and from Tenwick. I remember so clearly that night as I sat around the fire with my friends and we were praying and talking and we were safe but damaged and suffering and sad. I had the clearest image of Jesus, tears running down his face because he was hurting, because I was hurting. And I felt so clearly that he was saying, trust me. But I I had to decide, did I believe that God was who he said he is? Did I believe that he was truly the God of the universe and in control of all things? Well, if so, why had he let this evil thing happen? Or if he wasn't in control, then evil could just run rampant. I didn't believe that. I had seen how God had helped my family through the death of my father in a car accident in my third year of medical school. And I knew he had been with my family through that tragedy a few years before this event. So I said, okay, Lord, I trust you. We went back to Tenwick the next day and we told the missionaries. We didn't tell a lot of other people because initially I didn't want them to know. And the missionaries just surrounded us and prayed for us and loved on us. And and it was just incredible. About a week later, I decided maybe I should tell the Christian community because then they can pray for us. So I wrote a little email to try to summarize what had happened and The missionaries took that and forwarded it on with their own prayer letters. And this began to go literally around the world. And my friend and I can tell you, we could feel the power of the prayers of people praying for us. So I ask you to please pray for your missionaries. It is powerful. 
we were doing okay and I was doing okay, but I was worried about pregnancy and I was worried about HIV. Another week later, which was about two weeks after the incident, I decided that I would send some blood work to Nairobi for an early type of HIV testing to the one lab in Kenya that could do it. I called the next day for my test results and imagined my shock when they gave me a positive number to my HIV test result. I said, I'm sorry, you must be mistaken. This is for Carol Spears from Tenwick Hospital. And they said, no. This is the this is the test result. And I said, well, then please repeat it because there must be some mistake. And I said, no, I'm sorry. We've already had to repeat it because that's how we confirm our test. I hung up that phone and I was at a place that I've never been before. I was completely devastated and I was angry with God. I felt like he was failing me. I feel like he completely let me down. I didn't understand how this could be and I didn't know what to do. But I think it's a point where God wanted me to be because no longer in my own strength and in my own amount of little faith could I muster up enough faith to trust him. I continued to hear him saying to me those two words, trust me. And I really didn't know what to do. I felt lost. Like Dr. Larimore, I found myself turning to scripture, but it was so hollow because I was so angry. And so for days, as I would read scripture about his unfailing love, I found myself, but God, you have failed me. This doesn't feel like unfailing love. And I would read scripture about plans for good and not for evil. I said, but God, this is not a good plan. What about, I can't work in medicine. I can't be a surgeon if I'm HIV positive. What if I'm going to have a child from this? What about my whole future? Lord, I'm devastated. I want to fix it. I want you to fix it, God. You know, what he was asking me to do was to surrender. What he wanted was all. He was saying, Carol, will you give it all? I don't want part. I I don't want what's comfortable, what's easy, what you can do in your own strength. I want it all. In yesterday's terminology, I want you to die. To all of your hopes and dreams. And I love how Rick Donlin put it. He said, when you give up your life's dreams, all you get is the king of the universe. And let me tell you, when I finally got to a point a few days into this struggle, where I said, okay, Lord, I don't feel it with my emotions, but I'm willing to say, I trust you. I trust you, Lord, because I can't imagine going into a future life without you if it's going to involve some future that I can't imagine. Where, Lord, I don't know what's next. I don't know if I'm going to be HIV positive. I don't know if I'm going to have a child with this. But if that's going to be what I need to walk through as a journey, I want to be going holding your hand. I want to go with you. And I trust you because if that's what you're choosing for me,
I'm going to be holding tight to you. You know, instantly, there was the peace that only he can provide, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And the aspects of his character that I got to experience, I could not have seen any other way. Oh, the precious aspects of who our God is. They showed me through that surrender. I could not have seen any other way. Thankfully, he restored everything and I praise him. Oh, I praise him. Thank you, God, that he's given me a future. He gave me every one of my dreams back and I praise him because it doesn't always turn out like that. And I know that and I'm sensitive to any of you who it, who it has not turned out that way for. And I and I'm so sorry. But I was not HIV positive or he healed me and I don't know which and I praise him either way. And I did not have a child from that trauma. And I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he's given me back my dreams. But what he's given me is that I know he's trustworthy. And I can testify to you that he's trustworthy. And no matter what life bombshell comes your way, no matter what suffering you're called to, no matter what he asks you to walk through, he's going to be there with you. And, and his sweet presence is going to be worth walking through it with him. He's trustworthy. Point number four, he establishes his people. He establishes his work. So whatever vision he's called you to do, whatever calling he has, he's going to establish it. He's going to do it. You do it in his power. When I got to Tenwick, God just seemed to have orchestrated so many things to make us able to start a general surgery training program. And Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, it's labor's labor in vain. And so we felt like, okay, Dr. Russ White was there, Dr. Michael Chupp was there, and we had a Kenyan surgeon, and with my arrival, perhaps the time was right. I had met the PAX people because when I arrived at Tenwick, there were no other attending surgeons there. And so Dr. Bruce Steffes gave me a three-week crash general surgery course uh, in African surgery before he said bye. And I was left as a, a now fourth-year surgery resident in Africa. And so as Bruce and I came back to America, the PAX um, group asked us to join them. And so I had been on their board before I went back to Africa. And so Tenwick partnered with PAX. We also partnered with a group called the College of Surgeons of Eastern, Central, and Southern Africa. And we started a general surgery training program in January of 2008. And we um, were blessed to have a lot of things come together at just the right time. But we had one big dilemma. Where were we going to find residents? We needed talented, young African doctors who wanted to be surgeons. We needed to find people who loved the Lord, that were spiritually mature, but who were really incredibly talented and gifted, and who were willing to take a risk in a startup program. Where were we going to find such people? We knew of one young physician. Her name was Dr. Agneta Odera. Dr. Agneta Odera. 
She had done her internship at Tenwick, and we knew she was incredibly gifted, very smart, very talented young physician. She loved pediatrics, but we thought, well, maybe we could switch that into pediatric surgery. And so we started talking to her. Would she be willing to consider doing general surgery at Tenwick? And I've asked her to come and to tell you a little bit of her story. Welcome, Agneta. Hi, it's such a privilege to be here today. I'm halfway across the globe from my little home town in Kenya, and um, I am amazed at how much I'm standing in the midst of such a great cloud of witnesses, and there's bright light shining in my eyes. <laughs> I, I don't know, I may have just died and gone to heaven, but <laughs> I have all these wires crawling on my back, and I didn't fall on the steps, so I think I'm still here. But... <laughs> It's just really great to be here. As Dr. Spears has mentioned, I'm a third-year um, general surgery resident at the Tenwick program with PACS in Kenya. And just a little background about myself. I'm a firstborn of five siblings. Um, I, I grew up um, in Kericho, which is tea country, about one-hour drive from Tenwick. Um, although I had never really heard about the hospital, I went to an eight-year primary school education program. Then I went to four years of high school and, and I really felt like I wanted to do medicine. I had been inspired by my family doctor and the way he handled patients. Uh, my father had wanted to do medicine. He, had, he was very smart, but financially they were not able to do it. And so that was sort of his dream, and I felt like I was, I was going to live his dream for him. Um, I went to medical school, which is five years in Nairobi, and then I started getting to the point where we were going to do an internship period of one year, and I started thinking, you know, where should I go? And we had many people come and talk to us as medical students, and for some reason, I don't know, Tenwick just seemed, you know, good, and it seemed fun, and I thought, maybe I'll go and check it out. Um, and so I went there for one year, and it was an amazing experience. Um, I learned so much. We have wonderful attendings there who are just very gracious and willing to hold your hand and guide you through. I grew in confidence with handling patients. Um, I grew so much spiritually. I loved singing and playing drums, and I was in the worship team. I got involved in Sunday school teaching. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe I'll stay on here for the next two years. In our training program, you don't go straight from internship into residency. You get two years to spend as a general practitioner, if you will. And so, you know, I guess at that time I was sort of checking out Tenwick and checking out missions. And I really felt drawn to it, you know. As Dr. Spears mentioned, I wanted to do pediatrics, and I just feel a calling towards children. Um, but as I, as I kept working there, you know, I continued to see a big need um, that was lacking with surgery, especially for children. Um, there aren't many pediatric surgeons in Africa, and yet the need is so much. Um, I saw many times when babies were born in the nursery and they had congenital malformations that could be fixed, but, you know, no one was willing to do it, or if they were going to go to Nairobi where the care was available, it was so expensive. And many times mothers told me, just discharge me home, let me go home with my baby. And I would ask them, what are you going to do at home? They're going to die. And she said, it's okay, I'd rather have the baby die. It's fine. And it really got difficult. Um, I saw children with rheumatic heart disease who wouldn't reach their 20th birthday 
just because they got into bad heart failure and they couldn't afford to go get bulb replacements. And so I started really feeling, you know, God calling me to, 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 to do something um, to try and help these children. But obviously it was very overwhelming. And so towards the end of those two years, you know, I started thinking I should go into some higher training um, other than just what I have. But I started asking, where am I going to go? Um, and really, what should I do? You know, God, what is your will for my life? You know, I felt like there was a specific thing that God was calling me to do. And if I didn't find that one thing, um, I would have failed miserably. Many people told me, oh, no, it's okay. You know, God has given you free will, so you can just choose anything. And, you know, you're a good person and your moral will. Somehow, even if you didn't get that one thing, God will realign you back into his sovereign will. And it will just work out. But I didn't feel that. I wanted to find that one specific thing. And so I started talking to people, you know. I got to a point in my life where I felt like I was in the middle of a crossroad and there were so many directions through which I could go. And I started asking friends, you know, what should I do? And I turned to my consultants, what should I do? What, you know, you've, you've seen me work, what are my skills? And um, during that time, Dr. Spears and Dr. White were thinking of starting the general surgery training program and they approached me to do it. And, you know, I thought, I don't know, I, I really was, to be honest, frustrated with a higher training level at Kenya and Nairobi. I felt I needed something more. I wanted to go out and explore the world. So I checked out different universities in England, in Australia, in America. I checked out Cincinnati Children's Hospital and, you know, things were really looking good. And I was like, this, this would be a good experience for me to just explore the world and know new things. And, um, you know, they told me, no, maybe you should really consider doing surgery. You, 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 you like pediatrics and you love to work with your hands. And, you know, I thought, yeah, really, maybe in rural Africa, I'd be of more asset if I had some surgery skills. And so I really, really started thinking about that. Um, But this program that was starting, you know, they had just written the curriculum. It hadn't been tested. Um, They were still struggling with accreditation for the the program so that when I came out, I'd be recognized. with the papers I had in my pocket, I could practice anywhere without feeling like I had something inferior. And I really wasn't sure that's where I wanted to be. And, you know, to some degree I felt, gosh, I'm going to be their guinea pig in this program, you know. <laughs> they just want me to try it out, and if it fails, I'll pack and go, and I'll be left there, and I have spent five years of my life doing nothing. And I, I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. And during that time, it was towards 2007, and maybe some of you remember, Kenya had just had elections, and that was one of the darkest times in Kenyan history, I think. Um, we went into really bad post-election violence. I remember being in casualty on call one night, and they brought in this guy who had been cut. He had over 20 lacerations on his body. His skull was wide open. His brain was spilling out, and, you know, there was so much grief, there was so much ill feeling between tribes, um, there was so much inhumanity, and as we switched that guy in the OR for five hours, I was balancing tears and wondering, you know, what has Kenya become? And I just, I, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to be part of that anymore. And so, you know, I kept thinking and thinking about this, and, you know, God says, like she mentioned, that he has a plan and hope for our future. Uh, the thoughts he has for us are thoughts of peace, they're not of evil. And I said, God, 
I feel you're calling me here, but I, I don't think I can be here. What hope, what future lies for me here? And, you know, they kept talking to me, and over time, I really love you, Dr. Spears, but the voices, everything just became noise in my head. You know, the more they talked, I didn't want to listen to them. And I looked around me, and I thought I made a logic, rational decision. I would, I would go out. I would just go out and do my training and do my thing. And then, you know, I convinced myself I'm not one of those people who will go out and never come back. I'll come back to Africa and I'll, and I'll work in Africa and help. Um, and so I got up one evening. I told my parents my decision and they gave me their blessing. And so I was walking down to the chief of surgery's house, Dr. Rasway, to tell him, you know, it's been good. It's been real, but I'm leaving. <laughs> um, and... As I got halfway towards his house, you know, I got this really dreadful feeling, um, this great sense of loss. I couldn't, I can never explain it. It was just darkness that was enveloping me, and I felt like I was, I was making the greatest mistake of my life. And I asked God, you know, is this you speaking to me? After all this seeking, he says, seek me. And if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. If you pray to me, I will listen to you. And I said, I have been praying and seeking. I have had sleepless nights. Is this how you're speaking to me now? And he never answered anything. And it was really bad. I had prayed to him, God, if I go out and your presence is there, then I don't want to go. I want to be where your presence is. And I was wondering, is this God's presence leaving me because of the direction I'm taking? And I went back and sat down. And for a while, I really couldn't move. I was just sort of immortalized. I, I was just scared. And, you know, I said, okay, maybe this is God. So I decided to call my dad because I really love him and I respect what he says. He's always taught us, you know, when you think about things, think through your decisions, be focused, don't have a wavering mind. And I said, I'll call him and talk to him. You know, maybe he'll really tell me what I need to do. And you know, as as I as I, as we talked, you know, he asked me, so where is this program? And he, I said it's in Tenwick. He's like, okay, Tenwick is a good hospital, um, but you know, is it accredited? No. Um, how many years is it going to be? Uh, well, it's going to be five years, and then I want to do pediatric surgery, so it'll be another two years or seven years. It's like, okay. Um, and, you know, with all the insecurities, with the political instabilities that was going on, I was just afraid. And everything I kept telling him was, no, no, I wasn't sure. And the more I talked to him, the more foolish it sounded, you know. Um, and he went silent for a while, and I was like, oh, boy, okay, <laughs> I've just done it. Um, but, you know, he's not a professed uh, believer, and, and but I know God is working in his heart to get him there. And he, he said, you know, God has been faithful to you. Um, he's kept this family together. He's provided for us financially. Even when it was difficult with your schooling, he kept you through school. And even it, when it was difficult during the clashes after the elections, when I'd call home and I'd just be hearing gunshots in the background and my parents were huddled in the house, or when my sisters were in Nairobi and the, doors, the apartment was marked and they were going to be attacked the night and they had to flee, he's the one who held this family together. And if that same God is telling you to do something, then you had better do it. And I, I was shocked. Amen. I, I, was, I was shocked. It's the last place I expected God to speak through. And 
So I said, okay, God, if, if, this, is, if this is you, um, I'm going to do it. And so I joined the program, um, and it's been great. It's, it's in its infancy stage, but it's growing, and we've had struggles, but it's growing, and now we are six residents of us, and, and I really love what you're doing. And I can tell you I'm a very happy guinea pig right now. <laughs> It's been really great. But that's not to say that there's been not struggles. I mean, are there days that I have been frustrated? Yes. I'm Kenyan, and the system in Kenya frustrates me. So you can imagine when you get there what it will do to you. <laughs> it, the, the times is just very hard. It's very hard. I mean, the, you know, during our training, we do 48-hour weekend call shifts, and on Monday, you're supposed to give rounds, and... It's hard, you know. It's very hard. But God God is there. You know, the times I've seen patients die, you do everything for them and they still die. And I ask, God, are you really in this? And over and over and over I've heard him say, just trust me. Trust me. You know, one time I clearly heard him say, after I lost a baby we had been working on for days, and the mother had told me if, it was an Indian mother, and she told me if, if this baby survives, I will believe your God. And I was holding on to that. I was saying, God, you can, now it's your time to prove yourself. You can reach these people. And the baby died, and I asked God, what, what are you, where are you? I, I can't see you. And I remember him saying, I am who I am. I am the Lord God, and in death or life, I will be glorified. You know, whether it's difficult or easy, I remain glorified. Whether you're having frustrations or in the high places, I will still remain glorified for I am God. You know, because when he calls us to do this, it's, it's not about us. It's all about him. It's about him. So my encouragement to you is this. You know, when God calls you, he just wants you the way you are. You know, some of us say, and I, I was going through this, you know, I'm not intelligent enough to do this. I need to gather all the training I can before I go there, you know, which is good. But sometimes he'll call you in the middle of it. You know, I need to be financially secure. I have to make sure I find a spouse who'll be willing to support me and be committed with me in the mission field. But it's never going to happen. It will not be a 100% check for all those things. You know, he'll call you when you're busy doing something. It will be an interruption in your life. You'll not be sitting and everything is set. You're like, oh, God, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> He's going to call you in the middle of something when you're in one direction and he'll tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, I want you to go this way. But are you willing to step out in faith, believing that he is who he says he is, that his promises are yes and amen, that he's able to keep you and to sustain you? You know, he says, seek fast the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So don't worry about tomorrow, because today has enough troubles of its own. Okay? (laughs) He wants you to trust him to take you step by step every day. And that's the only way you'll stay in the center of his will. So instead of learning to ask God, what is your will for my life? I learned to ask him, God, what is your will and how can I change my life? into your will. What are you doing around my world and how can I become a part of it? You know, if he showed me all these things years ago, like Dr. Spears said, I would have never said yes. But now I'm so glad to be part of his world. I'm, I'm happy where I am. 
Okay, so if God is calling you to something unproven, untested, foolish, illogical, how many are going to say, yes, Lord, I'll be your guinea pig, I'll go. Amen. God bless you. Great job. I think you can see why we love her so. Thank you so much, Agneta. Point number five. God really wants to bless you. He really wants to bless us. And David, as he cries out in verse 29, he's basically saying, God, you're blessing me and just go ahead. Lord, bless us. Bless me. Part of that blessing is being willing to step out in faith. Sometimes the blessing is going to involve suffering. Sometimes the blessing is going to be a blessing that's scattered with perhaps sorrow and hardship, and it may be hard. I think as you've heard our stories, you've heard that the journey is not always easy. I think you've heard that we had to step out with fear and trembling sometimes. But there's blessing in following Jesus and saying yes and walking with him on that journey wherever he's going to take you. And you are going to know as you take out your commitment cards and prepare for our time of commitment together. What we would like for you to do is to look at the categories across the bottom. Learn. Pray. Go. Support. On the right-hand side of the card, if you will, put your own address, where you're going to be in two or three months from now. And on the left-hand side of the card, if God puts it on your heart today to make some kind of next step, to take some commitment to take some next step in going the next this far with God. And we'd like for you to write that there. It might be in one or more of those areas across the bottom. Perhaps you don't know yet and all you can do is say, I'm going to continue to pray because God is working in my life. And that's fine. Perhaps what you're going to want to do is come down here to the altar and pray. Perhaps you'd really like some time to counsel with somebody and somebody to pray with you and to talk to you further about what it is the Lord wants you to do. I think those of us who have been a little bit ahead of you on the journey can tell you for sure 
that walking with Jesus, there's going to be joy. Perhaps there's going to be pain and sorrow and suffering. But there's going to be assurance of his love. He loves us right where we are. He's going to meet you right where you are. Maybe you feel like you have a long way to go before you're ready for anything else. He's going to meet you where you are today. The praise team's going to come and they're going to play and um, they're going to sing. And as they sing, we'd like for you to be filling out your cards and come and lay them. We've got a map up here of the world. If God's got a particular area of our world that's on your heart, you can lay your card right there. On that part of the world. I've been amazed as I've looked at the pushpins out there on the map already. Of how we're covering the globe just with the people in this room. Let me pray for us. And then as we start our time of worship and singing. You can just prayerfully come. Either kneel and pray. Write your commitment card and leave it here at the altar. Or find anyone from the staff and they'll be happy to pray with you and counsel with you. Let's pray. Father, we just, um, we just come before you, Lord, to thank you so much for your love. Father, for how You have chosen to use us as part of your great plan. And God, we pray now that we would be sensitive to your leading. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be tendered to hear your your word and your leading and your guidance. I pray, Father, for each young man and young woman in this room. And Lord, you know who you're raising up, what you're calling them to do, what you want the next steps to do, Lord, today. I pray you give each one of us the courage to step out in faith, to say, oh, sovereign Lord, I want to walk with you and I trust you. And yes, I'm willing to go. In Jesus' name, amen.